I don't know how you read the paper, but I always go for the headlines. And if the headlines capture my imagination, I then read what's underneath. And I saw this headline in the Daily Mail just a couple of weeks ago, that the average age of British Christians now hits 51. That's amazing, isn't it? And many churches are getting very elderly. You're blessed here with some young life and some young people. But many of the rural Anglican churches are very small and the average age would be well over 60. And it doesn't augur well for the future. And you can see from the screen that uh, 3.9% of those between 21 to 25 said they were Christians. Very tiny percentage now. And less than 50% of the population in England now identify as Christians. This course comes from the ONS, the Office of National Statistics. But on the other side, the average of those in mosques is 21. That's staggering, isn't it? 85% of those in mosques are under 50. A total contrast. It's a huge wake-up for the call in this the Christian church in this country. And a cry from our hearts for God to do a new thing and to come and work in revival with a new movement of his spirit in this country. You know, it's very interesting that uh, I was visiting my neighbor who's 93 and uh, there was a young care worker there. She would be about uh, 30. And uh, when I went down, I introduced myself and I said, my name is Victor, I live just up the road, and I come down to see Michael every night and we read the Bible together, and then I find on my phone an old song that he would have sung 40, 50 years ago, and we sing that together, and then we pray together. Oh, she said, that's very nice, but our generation doesn't believe that stuff anymore. I said, why is that? And she couldn't really give me an answer. I said, well, what do you know about Christianity? She said, hardly anything. So I said, you've written something off and you haven't even understood what it's all about. And so I started to share my faith with her and she became more and more open. And in the end, I gave her a copy of the little book, Starting Over, which tells the story of the first 20 people that came to faith on the estate. And, you know, she started to get really interested. But I was staggered when she says, our generation doesn't believe that stuff anymore and she said it's no longer cool to be a christian so we are facing a real challenge and the burden of my heart this morning is simply share with you which has been with me for many years now the need for us all to be active in sharing our faith and so here are some relevant scriptures the first one which we'll focus on quite a bit this morning comes from one peter in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. And then a verse I particularly like from Philemon. I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And when you start sharing your faith with other people, you get a greater understanding of it because of the questions they start to ask you. And then another one in Colossians, where Paul, in all humility, says, pray for us that God will open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way in which you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity 
Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Do you know that dear old man who's 93 that I go to visit and pray with each night when I'm free? He witnesses to all the care workers, all the new ones that come, and he's given away 48 Gideon New Testaments at 93. He's still witnessing, still sharing his faith. I don't know how old you are, but never lose the opportunity to speak of Jesus. And one lady who's come to faith is at Sizewell Hall this weekend on the women's weekends. So he's still busy serving the Lord. You know, I could give you 12 different forms of evangelism this morning, but all of them are ineffective unless Christians on the ground are active in sharing their faith. You know, I was brought up with this that the best way to preach the good news is to knock off the letter P and you're left with the word reach. And then you knock off the letter R and you're left with the word reach. And so the best way to spread the gospel is for each one to reach one. Sounds simple, but it's incredibly effective. And if each one of us did that, you know, the numbers would continue to grow. I used to love listening to this man, Chuck Colson. He had an incredible brain. It worked at 150 miles an hour because he was Nixon's hatchet man. And later he became a Christian and reformed prison work in the United States. And he said the best way to spread the Christian message is like the Asian flu. I get it, I give it to you, and then you take it and give it to somebody else. Wouldn't it be wonderful? It kept on multiplying like that. It would be so exciting. And there was a man called Dr. Niles who was a missionary in Ceylon. And he said, Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And Jesus is the bread of life and he satisfied our souls. And we just need to go on sharing where the source of supply can be found. And do you remember that story of the lepers outside the city of Jerusalem, which was being besieged by the Assyrians? And they were starving. And then God caused panic in the Assyrian camp and they all fled. And these four lepers went down to explore. And they found there was food everywhere. So they started gorging themselves on the food. And then they suddenly said, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. And we are keeping it all to ourselves. And this is a day for us to spread the good news. But we tend to keep it to ourselves. Well, here's some research on what brings people to church. You've probably seen something like this before. 3% come to church or to faith through special events. 3% through personal felt needs. I saw a lady outside West Road Church and she looked a bit uncertain. I said, can I help you? She said, I've lost my husband and I thought I might find some hope here. I said, you've come to the right place. But not many people come like that. 3% through church publicity, 6% through Sunday school activities, 8% through contact with church visitors, 77% as a result of an invitation from a Christian friend. Staggering those details. But shows again, the personal touch is just so important. And you know, in the New Testament, there are 40 cases of healing. But only six came by themselves. The other 34 were brought by friends. So 85% were transformed 
by meeting Jesus as a result of somebody introducing them to Jesus. And of course you have the story of the man let down through the roof and he would have never encountered Jesus if those four friends hadn't have worked together to take him there. And you take uh, Billy Graham for example. We had him at Portman Road. Anybody go to Portman Road? Give me a wave. They were great days. We had 20,000 a night for five nights. We had 100,000 going through the turnstiles. And people would say, that's just mass evangelism. Do you know, Billy always said it wasn't mass evangelism. It was personal evangelism on a large scale. And 85% of the inquiries, the people who came forward afterwards, had been prayed for and brought by a Christian friend. So can you see where I'm going? the importance of us personally to get involved in introducing people to Jesus Christ. I was offered a holiday in Tenerife. Did anybody have a phone call? My wife and I were offered a free holiday to Tenerife. And they said, it's too good to miss. And I said, why are you phoning me? And they said, well, we've decided not to do any more mass advertising for a week. And we're going to send 100 couples on these holidays. And then they added... We feel that personal recommendation is more effective than mass advertising. So they were working on the basis that if you went on that holiday and you loved it, you would tell your friends and say, that's a place to go. You'll have a great time. The personal touch again. And I don't know if you know the name of Wilson Carlyle, but he started the church army, which is the evangelical wing of the Anglican church and how they need that today. But he wrote a book towards the conversion of, of England, and I love this quote. We cannot over-exaggerate the importance of breaking down this traditional British reserve which produces the church of silent saints. Then he went on to say, I'm tackling the biggest job I've ever tackled in my life. I'm trying to open the mouths of the people in the pews to talk about Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all found the freedom in a natural way to talk about Jesus. And I don't know whether I've put the next slide up, but Richard Halverson was a man I heard at a congress in Amsterdam. And I've never forgot this particular quote of his. And it's very powerful. He said, in the apostolic church or in the early church, evangelism was just assumed and it happened without any special meetings, special courses, special training or special programs. Evangelism just happened. It issued naturally from the community of believers as light from the sun. It was automatic, spontaneous, continuous, and contagious. Very powerful words, but it's so important. And in the early church, the message spread like wildfire across the Middle East because the Christians were active in sharing their faith. And of course, there were two things that caused that spread. The Holy Spirit filled them, empowered them, and equipped them and the fires of persecution scattered them. And you know, a similar phenomena happened in China in the 20th century. In 1950, when China was closed to foreign missionaries, there were an estimated of one, billion, one million believers in that vast continent. And as we know today, there are almost 100 million believers. And we're told something like 28,000 people in that vast com continent come to faith each day. So how did that happen? Well, it all happened when Chairman Mao decided he was going to get rid of all the people in the cities who were infected by Western influence, and he banished them out into the countrysides. And of course, they were Christians. 
And they went, and wherever they went, in spite of opposition, they shared their faith in Jesus. And it just goes rolling on. And so today you have this amazing work going on in China. So let's get started. Number one, live under the Lordship of Christ. In that first text that I gave you, Peter says, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. We need to make an unconditional surrender of our lives to Jesus and ask him to take us where he wants us to go, to use us as he wants us to, to use us, as he wants him to use us. So important that we don't just become a nominal kind of Christian, but somebody who is totally surrendered to Jesus and says, Lord, I will do whatever you ask me to do. I will make you my Lord. And it was an incredible challenging thing in the first century to say, Jesus is Lord, because Christians were hauled before the authorities and they had to say, Caesar is Lord. And if they didn't, they were often executed. So how we need to make sure we're totally surrendered to Jesus and that we love him with all our hearts and that we live for him each day. And if we do, then we will want to talk to him about others. I read about Heine, the German philosopher, and he stood in front of a statue of Venus of, Milan, Venus of Milo in Milan. He was in a mood of disillusionment and despair. And he came to the statue looking for some inspiration and encouragement and he stood for a while and then eventually he spoke to Venus and he said, I suppose you would help me if you could, but you can't. Your lips are silent because your heart is cold. Your lips are silent because your heart is cold. And sometimes our hearts can grow cold. We can lose our love for Jesus. And when we're like that, we have nothing to say about him. And secondly, we have to learn to deal with fear. In that verse, Peter said, do not let their threats, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. And of course, Peter was saying this to Christians who were suffering terribly for their faith under the cruel and sadistic emperor Nero. And as you probably know, he would roll them in pitch, the Christians, and set fire to them to provide lights for his parties. He would put the skin of animals on them and then he would let the wild dogs on them to provide entertainment for his guests. They were terrible days for Christians. And yet Peter says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And yet fear is one of the things that tends to shut our mouths and seal our lips. Because we're always worried about what people will think about us and what we will say. And it is somewhere where we can easily get trapped. And then thirdly, seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. We were promised that the Holy Spirit could come upon us and then we would be God's witnesses. And those two things belong together. The power of the Holy Spirit is experienced when you step out in faith and witness and share your faith. Most of you can look back to the time when you learned to drive a car. It was an interesting experience for some of you because the car seemed to run on kangaroo petrol. It kind of lurched into action and then it stalled. You had the authority to go on the road because you had a provisional driving license, but you didn't have the ability. And we have the authority of Jesus to go and make disciples. 
But we don't have the ability apart from the Holy Spirit. And he's the one who comes alongside us like a driving instructor and helps us and encourages and shows us what to do. Some of you may remember Dr. Tom Penniston. He may well have been your doctor. But when he first became a Christian in his late teens, I was asked if I would give him some support. And um, he went off to Bristol University to study medicine. And before he went, I sat down and had a good, honest talk with him and said, you need to stand firm as a Christian when you go to university or your faith will just disappear like water through the sand. And he went off to, to university. When he came back after his first term, I sort of asked him tentatively, how did you get on, Tom? He said, I made an interesting discovery. He said, I found that whenever I am willing to open my mouth and talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit always gives me the words to say. And I thought that was just beautiful from a young Christian. And then number four, pray for opportunities. That is key. We don't have to get all screwed up and say, I must witness today, you know, I must talk to that person. We don't have to be like that. We can be totally relaxed and say, God, I'm asking you to create an opportunity for me to share something of Jesus and your love with another individual. So important to pray for opportunities. And when I forget to do that, they don't come. But when I do, so often God brings me across somebody that I can share my faith with. And so we're encouraged to always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us and to do it with gentleness and respect. It's important to remember that. And I, every morning when I wake up, I have a short prayer. And part of that prayer is, Lord, lead me to somebody today. Because prayer is the key that opens the door into people's hearts. And Paul knew that. He said, pray for us that God will open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the message of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. So even Paul, with all his experience, was still praying for God to open up doors of opportunity for him. And another key thing, if we're going to learn to share our faith, is to listen to people's conversations. Just listen carefully to what people say. I've found opportunities so often on a train when people are talking by near, near, near to where you are. And people will often say things like, I don't know what the world is coming to. And society is getting so sick. And uh, sometimes I will simply say, what do you think the problem is? Because as I may put up on the screen, questions have more mileage than statements. And when people say, I don't know what the world is coming to, you know, there's a temptation to dive in and say, the problem is this. You're sinners and you're under God's judgment. And some people come in heavy handed like that. And people step back. But if you just simply say, well, what do you think the problem is? They'll come up with a few, few answers, like it's the out-of-touch government, it's the greedy bankers, and it's all the violence and pornography that people can watch on their screens or on their phones. And they come up with their answers. And then you can gently say, would you be interested in what I feel about the problem in society? And you can begin by that quote, you know, the problem... The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart and begin to explain that within us all there's greed and selfishness and so on. And that's what's corrupting society. 
listen to people's conversations, and then always treat people with respect. Don't barge into people's lives. Always be gentle and courteous and kind. And I liken everybody's life to a castle. And you can't get into a castle unless somebody on the other side lowers the drawbridge and enables you to walk in. And it's like that with individuals' lives. You can't crash into people's lives. But when you get talking to people, from time to time, you'll hear the creak of the drawbridge coming down and you sense this person is interested and I can talk to them. And the conversation begins to flow and God leads you into a meaningful conversation with them about your faith in Jesus. So remember, everybody's life is a little bit like a castle. So where have we got to on the screen? Number seven, be consistent in your daily life. Paul wrote, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so it's no good talking to people about your faith in Jesus if your daily life is out of tune with that. Where we work, our Christian witness has got to be strong. And we've got to be consistent. Our life has got to be different and distinctive so often to people around us. Some of you will have heard of Karl Marx. He was a brilliant thinker. And he influenced much of the Communist Manifesto. A highly intelligent man. And he came to this country to study. I think it was at Cambridge University. And he said something very significant. He said, Christians will have to become more Christian if ever I am to become one. So maybe that man met some Christians in the university who were just not consistent. There was the element of hypocrisy. They weren't really walking the walk, as we say, as well as talking the talk. So important to be consistent in our daily lives. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the well-known London preacher, said, the greatest single reason for the lack of progress with the Christian message is the low standard of our Christian lives. That's a huge challenge, isn't it, to us all, to really live as Jesus wants us to live. And then, going on to number eight, be convinced about what you believe. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. If you get talking to people, you'll find they'll always throw in red herrings. How can there be a God with so much suffering in the world? How do you know the Bible is true? How can you be sure the resurrection actually happened? And so on and so on. And you know, when I first started sharing my faith, and that's a story in itself, because if anybody struggled to get there to share their faith, it was me. I had a huge battle. But that's a story for another occasion. But you know, once you get started, God begins you to give you the freedom and the strength once you've done that. But you will come up against these questions. And I found, because people asked me questions, I had to have the answers. And that drove me to study the Bible. And my knowledge of the Bible began to increase. And then I begin to read books that would help me. But if somebody asks you a question, you can't answer it. Say, well, if you're really interested in whether the resurrection actually happened, I could give you a good book on that. Or I could invite you to talk to a friend of mine and we could have coffee together. And he would answer that, that question. And then you'll find out whether it's a genuine question or not. 
So be convinced about what you believe and try and educate yourself too about some of these questions. And Nicky Gumbel has written a good little book that deals with many of the popular questions that people tend to ask as red herrings. And number eight, always carry literature with you. Always have something with you in case you get an opportunity and have your name and address on the back of it so that people can contact you again. And you know, there are many ways of witnessing, not just with our lips, but also with our lives. And maybe some of you are people who just love doing things, acts of kindness for other people. And that can really create an open door of opportunity. I'll give you one example. In the village where we had our family home for 50 years until my wife died, we had home groups in the village. And uh, it was amazing how they grew and developed. And we decided that we came across a practical need in the village, we would try and help it. And just up the road from where we lived, there was a man called Major Fairley. And he was a big upright man with a handlebar moustache, a real military figure. And we found out that he had multiple cirrhosis and his dear wife could no longer get him into the chair and up and into bed. And so we decided we'd take in turns and we would go and help her do that. And I would go up and take my turn. And I got to know him and to befriend him. And one day I was there with him and I noticed he got lots of books. And I said, oh, I see you've got a Bible. And he said, yes. And I said, well, do you ever read it? He said, well, not very often. I said, would you like me to read you a bit from it? And he said, yes. And so I read Psalm 23 and he loved it. And the next time it was my turn to go, he said, you're not going to leave, are you, without reading to me from the Bible? And then one day when he was in a lot of pain, I just said, can I pray for you? He said, I'd love you to. And I prayed for him. The next time I went, he said, you won't leave, will you, without reading the Bible and praying for me? And then I gave him the Gideon New Testament. Sadly, he was then taken into hospital and he died in hospital. But the nurse said he died holding the Gideon New Testament that you gave him. So acts of kindness can open doors of opportunity and we need to seize them. I'm just about through in case you're worried about the time. Because I think it's time to stop, isn't it? Um, yeah, I was going to uh, give you six uh, separate styles of witnessing, which I'll just whip through very quickly because the time is going. First of all, there's confrontational. Peter on the day of Pentecost, you know, he was very bold. He said, you killed him, but God raised him. So repent and be baptized. That's being confrontational. Ian Paisley was like that. I met two Irish families and the two husbands were in a, in a jeep when a sort of mini bomb was shot into the jeep and it went through one man's stomach and through the other man's back. And they were desperately ill and not expected to live. And Ian Paisley went to visit them, big man looking down at them, and he says, are you men ready to meet God? It was quite a challenging question to ask two very sick people. But, you know, both of them became Christians, then their wives, and it was a joy to meet their families. That's confrontational. Intellectual. If you're an intellect, you love debating with people like Paul did in Athens. Testimonial. Once I was blind, the blind man said, now I can see. We've all got a testimony. We can all say, well, I came to know Jesus and this is what happened. And then relational. If you're a relational person, you can invite people around for meals. We invited lots of people to our home for meals from our village. 
and it was always an agreement between my wife and I, we would not talk about our work, we would not talk about church or anything Christian unless they initiated it. And then invitational, the woman at the well, come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did and invite people to events, it's not difficult. They're not likely to chew chew your ears off or anything like that. And then practical, Dorcas and her good works that you will probably know about in the book of Acts. And they're all different styles and maybe we fit in one of those. Well, Peter says, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Final story. I was speaking in Norwich and uh, I made a general aside comment about the importance of sharing your faith. And the next day a lady phoned me up and she said, um, I've been a Christian for almost 60 years and I feel ashamed to say it, but I've never shared my faith with anybody. And she comes from a very well-known Christian family in Norwich. She said, if I came to see you, would you give me some tips to get me started? I said, come tomorrow. And she drove from Norwich and we met in a restaurant and we chatted. And I gave her some points to get her started. And we talked and I prayed for her. And I said, make sure you pray for opportunities. On the way home, she decided to pull into a place for a cup of tea. And there she met a lady and they got talking. And she wasn't sitting face to face, eyeball to eyeball, but alongside her. And she said, you won't believe it, but I told her I met my faith in Jesus. And she was so excited. She felt she'd broken the sound barrier. She'd opened her mouth to talk to another person about Jesus. And then I heard from her again later. She said, I'm doing it all the time. I can't believe it. So once she got started, then she grew in confidence. And that's how it is with all of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've commissioned us to be your disciples and to go into all the world and help people to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and fill us afresh and to give us the confidence so that we have the joy to see people come to faith through our witness and so to see the church grow and expand. Help us, Lord, because we're weak. We tend to be nervous. We make all sorts of excuses. But we know fear, Lord, doesn't come from you. It comes from the enemy because you've given us courage and you've given us a sound mind. So, Lord, help us to renew our commitment and to seek fresh opportunities to share our faith in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.